Welcome to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. The podcast that covers all things about humans, technology, and particularly the bit in between. With your host, Barry Kirby. Welcome to this episode of 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. This interview is something that I've been wanting to do for an awfully long time to really get into what it means to be the president of the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors. But of course, with COVID and with every, everything being terribly busy, um, the current president has been a bit of a hard person to track down, but I've finally got hold of her um, in the virtual sense. So welcome, Amanda, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Very, very pleased to, hit, to be here. Yeah. So um, Amanda Whittiston, you're now the, the, the Human Factors Capability Lead for Talis. Um, but it hasn't always you haven't always been there. Um, where did it all start? How did you get into uh, human factors? Well, I suppose um, going back to the very beginning, um, which is quite a long time ago now for me, um, I I was looking for um, a higher education qualification um, that was related to the psychology degree that that I did because I found that I, I wasn't really. Um, successful in getting a related career once I graduated, even though I, I got a good mm -hmm. degree. Um, and I was really interested in the biological side and the psychological side. And I thought ergonomics was a fantastic marriage of those two disciplines. Um, and then I was lucky enough to get a, a Medical Research Council grant to study um, MSD ergonomics at UCL. And from then I've been working in uh, human factors ergonomics ever since. So that was really, that was my big kind of turning point so it's just something that I've always been passionate about. Um, I've always been interested in that. Even my summer jobs that I had, I was always thinking, well, you know, couldn't we design that better? Or, or is, is this, you know, is this the right way to do things? And you know, so, yeah, I've always had an interest in, in human factors. Oh, that's really, really cool. Um, obviously, this past year has been challenging, possibly more challenging than most. Um, I've had certainly felt that in the, you know, the whole working from home thing has certainly in some respects it's been brilliant because you've been been at home but then in some respects it's been rather difficult because you've been at home all the time um how have you found it how have you found working from home um yeah it's been okay i mean in i i think i'm fortunate in that myself and my partner because we're both working from home at the moment um, and we've got separate rooms that enable us to do that now i know a lot of people aren't as fortunate as that but that i think has really helped us maintain a sense of space um, and ability to, to work effectively. Um, saying that, I did spend last summer um, working at a client site because of the, um, the nature of the work meant that I couldn't work from home on that. Um, so I've also experienced that side as well. And that's been really challenging how you work in an office and work together where you naturally want to kind of huddle and congregate, but you've yeah. got to maintain the social distancing. It's a very strange phenomenon. So, um, but I've been able to do my job, um, you know, just as effectively. Um, I, I haven't really had issues. Um, being a consultant anyway, I'm used to working remotely and in different places and did occasionally work from home before. So um, I, I found it a lot easier, I think, than, than most. It hasn't been such a change for me. So, um, and in some ways there are, there are even benefits, you know, it's, um, it's nice not to have to do the travel, although <laughs> strangely, I was finding myself missing um, I, the job I was doing before first lockdown was about an hour's drive, uh, an hour's commute. 
And I kind of miss that kind of listening to the radio in the car and the open road and, uh, you know, and listening to, uh, you know, my kind of um, playlist and that kind of thing. So I missed that a little bit. But um, ultimately, I think there are benefits as well as disadvantages in, in working from home and in, in the new ways of working that we've all had to adapt to. I think, yeah, I, I certainly agree with, with with a lot of that because the almost that gap between no matter how, I mean, my driving to work is sort of 15, 20 minutes um, and just having that space to almost chill out and wind down or when you got into work, sort of start teeing yourself up. And if you've got any sort of meetings or whatever, what you're going to do, um, yeah, you sort of really lose that space when you're working from home and you're stepping outside and just going into the kitchen. Um, yeah, it's, it's that kind of change from the home mode to the business mode, isn't it? And back again. Yeah. And that, yeah, it's definitely changing and unwinding. It's harder to do when you have got that, um, when you are working from home the whole time. So it's almost like I try and keep a separate space that is just for work and, and try and keep areas that are just for home as well, it, you know, where possible mm. to try and separate the two activities a bit i'm also lucky that I've, I've got a dog so she makes sure that i get outside on all weathers <laughs> um, so uh, like like now like it's raining now so um it, it it's she's very good at making sure it's taking time for yourself i think to go outside see nature and to get it away from the working environment as well i think that's really helpful it's really helped me yeah i think that's certainly been uh, I found that a struggle being able to get out and do. I mean, everybody knows I'm not the uh, the lightest person anyway. So, but the trying to mix that up has been uh, been a challenge. You you mentioned about being still doing you know the the consultancy role that you do. How have you if you have, you might not have actually run any um, thing, but have, how have you found sort of like I guess running workshops and things like that? Have you been able to do any of that through lockdown? Yeah, um, I mean uh, we've been doing um various webinars we just had to switch to webinars so i suppose it's it's less um travel and we've had to adapt to new ways i mean video conferencing um like this just wasn't um, really done a year ago or i wasn't really doing it we had the technology but we weren't really doing it um it's strange earlier in the week i had a uh, we had a technology failure and we had to switch back to teleconferencing and talking through, you know, slide one, slide two. And it was really strange not being able to look at people, um, even though I, I'm still at home and I'm still in front of my computer. Um, and it, I think we, we're just getting so used now to using video conferencing technology in various forms. Uh, and yeah, um, so I think there are benefits in that. I have um, run some webinars as well. I think the CIHF software is really great for hosting webinars and allowing people to see each other and communicate via chat as well. So I think there's lots of other media that we've been able to use and, um, and adapt. Um, and in some ways, actually attending webinars, I think I've probably attended more since mm -hmm. we've been in lockdown than I used to before, simply because uh, my time is more flexible. I'm, I'm at home um, in the evenings, earlier in the evening, so I can attend the webinars. And whereas um, I might have had to take a trip before to go to an event, um, it's now only I can only I can just take an hour out of my day, for example, just to attend the webinar because there's no travel time. Um, so I'm 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 attending more kind of regional groups as well and seeing people that way. So I think there are some benefits actually that that's come out of this as as well as the disbenefits. Yeah, I think I think you're right in the. The technology, as you say, has really caught up, hasn't it? The the idea of sitting there and doing like at the Zoom or a Teams meeting like we're doing. Um, like I said, I was really 
almost didn't want to do that sort of thing. I, I didn't like the idea of it. If I could get, if I could go and do the face-to-face -face meeting, because no way could I get the same information or the same sort of rapport out of a um, out of this uh, a t a teleconference, um, sort of video conference. Um, but you make it work. I guess it's that uh, necessity is the mother mother of all innovation um, yeah. type thing. Um, so yeah, no, it's been interesting times. Um, yeah. And I think we've we got to get used to it, haven't we? Because I think certainly um, going forward, it's not going to change vastly uh, until we, until, you know, the pandemic gets under control. Um, do you think there's a risk of um, us doing too much like this? Because um, we're going to see change come out of this, presumably, mm. uh, into the way we work. Do you think, do you think there's, um, um, we, we, we'll stick with this or do you, do you, do you see some, a different way of working happening? I think that, that there's bound to be some effects because this has almost become the norm now. Um, people have had to get more used to using different technologies. They've had to purchase new technologies, um, even uh, webcams. I remember it was really expensive to get a webcam mm -hmm. at the start of the, pan the pandemic and, and not as expensive. They were difficult to get hold of just the supply, you know, demand was outstripping supply. Um, but now we've, you know, people have settled in and we've, we've had to adapt. So I think that there will be some changes. I think there'll be new um, questions though about how we work and is it always right to have a video conference, for example, um, initially, and, and how do people feel about it? Because um, do they want to reveal their personal working space? It's their home. I mean, I, I think that was my first thought being, you know, essentially quite a private person sometimes um, in my, my home anyway. And I, it was strange having my work colleagues managers seeing inside and, and everybody in, in theory the whole world seeing inside my my home um it's you know it's a new um but you soon you know you you get over it um fine uh, I, I tidied the bookcase i remember doing that <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> um i realized how messy it was and had to clear out um but, but yeah the video etiquette is, is do we always need to be on, on video i think it's it's definitely good for bonding and and um building relationships and there's you know it's it's the next best thing to meeting in person um, and I think there's definitely a place for it and that's been really useful I think maybe we need to think well do we always need to use it though when we're calling someone up do, do we always need to see them um, if they are in their private environment uh, if, they're, if they're working from home it's different if you're in an office because you're expected to be seen you're dressed in your office attire you know um, but if you're if you're um, it's a new environment, a new situation, I think, to sort of call someone up um, unexpectedly on video. Um, that's, you know, so there are new ways of working, but I, I definitely think we can, um, we, I think in the CHF will be using more of the webinar um, technology just because we can reach more people more easily and it's just more accessible, I think, for people. Mm -hmm. So um, we'd still obviously like to do the face-to-face -face events because there's no substitute for networking and getting together I think like that but I think that there, there will be more of the video conferencing as well and new technologies working from home I think we also need to obviously look at people's environmental setup like the CHF has been trying to do their workspace you know is it the basic kind of health and safety and ergonomic design of the workspace um, and making sure that people are healthy that way uh, and just just looking at the mental side of things as well, mental health aspects. There's a whole um, load of uh, new research that I imagine will be, um, it's already started um, yes, because yes. of the pandemic and about the way that we work and how things will will change in in the future. Um, I wonder how how much people will be commuting in the, in the future because 
um, I think companies are realizing that they maybe don't need such big office real estate um, because they don't necessarily need to have everybody in all of the time. Uh, so, you know, there could be changes there with more people working at home, maybe part time at, at least and, and changes to office environments. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But I do think there will be some long lasting legacy. It'd be interesting to they say come back in a year's time and then mm. a couple of years time and just almost that longitudinal study about exactly where uh, what the um, the positive effect you could say that COVID has had um, with what we're doing. You are listening to twelve oh two, the Human Factors Podcast. We wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for your support. You can help further by rating us through your podcast provider, sharing us through social media and telling your friends and colleagues. Let's work together in raising awareness of the value in putting users at the center of what we do. Well, we talk, we, we have talked and, and, and teased out and mentioned um, the CIHF. Um, you've had the, um, the dubious honor of being um, president this year. Um, before we get into your experiences of that, can you just give us a bit of um, an overview about what the president actually does, how they get selected or elected, um, and the, sure. the, at a high level, the role that you've been doing. Okay. So um, president is ultimately um, responsible for strategic direction of the Institute, or rather they, the uh, president is chair of the board of trustees, also known as the council. And the council is responsible for that strategic direction in conjunction with the, the CEO. Um, CEO um, reports to the, the, the council as well. So as president, you're really looking at the strategy of the organisation, looking after the members, um, looking after the finances, so um, or keeping an eye on them as a trustee. So uh, president's usually um, volunteer role, as are most people on, on the council. Um, and we've got a, a staff team as well who... Um, are responsible for the the day-to-day running of the organisation, but the the council and the president will kind of oversee that um, from a trustee position. Uh, we're responsible to the charities commission as well, um, and that's so it's it's um but it's really about strategy. So we've got a five-year uh, strategy that was actually uh, started by my, my predecessor Bob Bob Ridger um, when I was uh, on on the council as well, and. Um, We've, we've also got our own kind of specific objectives that, that come out of that. Um, essentially, the way that you get elected, um, you start off um, being nominated as president-elect. And we've actually got nominations open at the moment for the next president-elect. So, so um, if, if people want to stand, that's still open. Um, and if you're successful, you then get elected at the AGM, in, which is usually the end of April, and then you serve for a year as president-elect. Now you're deputising for the president in that role. Um, so, for example, I uh, chaired one uh, council meeting when the president, the then president, wasn't available. Uh, and you're on the executive committee, um, so making making decisions and supporting decisions that way. Essentially, laying foundations for your president's role as well. And then, then you get to be president after a year. And the president role is for a year as well. Again, April to April. And then after that, you become past president um, and the past president becomes the chair of the honours committee. So that's a really nice role. Um, you, you get to you know, hand out awards. And, and uh, so uh, as president's also on the um, on the honours committee. And that's where all the previous presidents go, in fact, for I think it's the last 
six years. So if you're wondering what happens to them, they're still around judging awards. And so the honours committee is comprised of the, the past president, the current president, and then the, all the previous um, presidents. I think there's about six so previous presidents. And they judge the awards. Um, in When I was president-elect, actually, I did kind of do a bit of a refresh of the award titles just to make them a little bit more descriptive. Um, so that, that was one of the things I did. But you, you get involved with just being part of the executive. So you're kind of, for three years, you're on the executive and involved in those decisions. Um, but it's, it's a nice setup. You get a, a year to kind of warm up and, and uh, get, to, get to learn the ropes, if you like, before taking on the president role. Um, presidents obviously naturally got a few more responsibilities specifically, um, like I attend the uh, more partnering meetings, perhaps, and the International Economics Association Council meeting and things like fees council meetings. So attending those, reporting back to council, um, being more of a direct contact to members. So there's um, there's an email address, there's a president's email address that is on the website, so you can take direct queries from members. And uh, yeah, just just being more of a figurehead that way, I guess. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's a team effort, as you as you know, um, by being on the on the council. Um, so the, the council really driving those um, that that strategy and that decision, working working with the CEO and the um, and the in house team as well. But I hope that kind of summarises it a little bit. Well, it's all, it does really highlight the fact it's not just a. Uh... Oh, I chuck my hand up for president. I do a year, and that's it done. It's a significant undertaking. You, you're yeah. giving up a minute, at least three years of uh, of your time, and then you talk about the honours committee afterwards. Um, you know, because that can continue as well. So it's yeah. it's not something to be undertaken lightly. I don't think. Did did you? I guess did you understand what you were letting yourself in for before you nominate got nominated? Or kind of. I think you can you can shape it a little bit yourself it's sort of how much you want to put in so the the on the CIHF website under the governance section it's got very clear guidance as to you know what it entails and the minimum requirement is essentially um, for the, the president role president-elect role it's attending um, four executive committee meetings a year and four council meetings a year so eight meetings a year in total and so that's kind of the minimum real requirement there is actually a lot more work that, that we do um, outside that. Um, but how much is essential? I think I think there's a bit of a, you know, it depends how, how involved you want to be um, and how committed um, you are. Naturally, we're all volunteers and, um, you know, have to uh, have a day job as well. So um, it's balancing that and um, balancing your, your time, I think. Um, but I am, you know, I, I want to do a good job for the membership. So I wanted to commit and to, and to do that. Um, but you have got the support of, of a team as well. I mean, the other volunteers are really great and really involved. And we've got the, the treasurer who's brilliant for um, uh, overseeing the, the finances. And, and that, I feel, takes a load off, off me because um, although, um, you know, it, it is... All, our, all of the trustees' responsibility to, to look at the finances and the budget and make sure we're spending okay. Um, I, I trust him to do that job really well, as well as I trust the, the COO to actually create the budget in the first place. Um, so, you know, we, we have got a really good team um, behind us. It's, you know, you're not a lone wolf, <coughs> excuse me. So it's, um, yeah, it is a commitment, um, but it's not, you know, I think it doesn't have to be onerous if you believe in in what you're doing. So 
that's really cool. It's um... If you are a human factors practitioner or in a related discipline and are not already a member, then do look up the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors. They are the professional institution for all human factors practitioners. Find them at www.ergonomics.org.uk. Not only have you stepped up to do that sort of commitment and be that figurehead, you've possibly done it at one of the most challenging times at the moment, because we, as we've alluded to, the uh, the COVID pandemic has, has really changed it, changed the way we do everything. Um, how have you found being president through through COVID? How has it affected and changed what what it, what you thought it was going to be? Yeah, um, there's it has changed quite a lot. I was expecting to. I mean, I I, I would love to have had more face to face conversations with members, um, to be visible at events, you know, walking around talking to people. I miss um, things like when we had council meetings, which I did throughout the year that I was president-elect. We went to all the council meetings then, all the exec meetings before um, the pandemic really hit. And um, I loved even having like a five-minute conversation over coffee on a one-to-one. We can't really do that now. We don't really do that now because we still have the council meetings and everything's um, via Zoom at the moment, the council meetings and the exec meetings. So you're having the meeting and you're, you're, it's great to be able to talk to people, communicate, but you're talking with a group all the time. It's I miss those kind of one to one side conversations that you might have to find, and to find out how people are and on a personal level, how they're doing um, and to talk to members as well. Um, so, I yeah, I I miss that. It's it's you know, it looks like it's not going to happen. We, we um, the. Obviously, I took over at the AGM um, in April last year, and the conference this year again is going to be virtual. So um, I did get the um, President's Medal in the post today because I had to have. Oh, well that. I've got it in the post, so I'll have to. I'll wear it somehow. I'll. I'll have to sort of wave it about above my head a little bit <laughs> because you you can't see it. So I, I yeah, I'd love to be able to um, swan about a little bit more with my President's Medal, but that's not going to happen. But I think yeah, missing missing out on. Um, those face-to-face conversations but then I think there are benefits because uh, as I was saying before the like the regional groups I attended a regional group meeting and one of the sector group meetings recently and it was easier to find the time to attend them mm-hmm. by webinar because there was no travel time and I could literally do my work stop for an hour or two and then start my work again uh, my other work again so it was, it was easier for me to fit into my working day and I, so I've got to connect in a way, maybe more in some ways, more than I would have um, if, you know, if we'd been able to, if everything had been face to face. So, um, so yeah, I think there are benefits. It's, you know, it's, it's a shame. I mean, I know the, um, the President's Project, which I think, you know, we can uh, talk about a bit more later, but that um, has definitely been inhibited. Um, so plans have changed. Um, I think the the uh, in-house team did, did a fantastic job last year of a very last minute turnaround of a face-to-face annual conference to a virtual one. And I thought it was a really good conference. I thought it worked really well. So I think there are positives that come out of it and we've adapted and we've adapted really well. There's, there's loads of webinars going on now and, and a lot of work has gone on. A lot more kind of white papers have been produced. So in some ways, you know, it's been good. Um, but, you know, obviously I wish I could be... Um, able to talk to members on a, on a face-to-face basis more but you know I, we will again in the future just just um, I don't think during my time as president. I think yeah I think I think you're right and I think the 
out of all the Zoom meetings and things like that, if we could just perfect the art of being able to drink wine together through Zoom, then I think you're there. It's the, I mean, you're absolutely right about the conference. I thought the conference last, last year was was fantastic considering, uh, well, not even considering um, the conditions. Um, it was a, a, a fantastic delivery in of itself, but the fact most people won't realise that just the short period of time that everybody involved turned turned things around to the team being able to make it happen, but also the presenters providing um, material and things like that, which has really set us up well this year, I, I think. So that's going to be quite good fun. Uh, but the, that networking part of it is is that one bit that I missed last year, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, but on the plus side, I was able to put the um, the slides on the big TV in the living room and have the kids sit beside me whilst whilst we were watching presenters and stuff. So it did oh, bring it a, a, a bring it brought a new audience to the. Um, to think but just don't tell anybody because obviously clearly I was the only person who paid mm. never mind <laughs> um, you mentioned about the president's project um yes. what what is the president's project well okay so I started preparing for this when I was president elect I just had the idea uh, of a project we're calling it design for everybody and it was really because um I felt there's a lack of diverse uh, anthropometric data so the the anthropometric data that we have was Kind of due an update anywhere the, the sources out there were a little bit getting a little bit out of date um as as you know as as happens um but also mainly i i thought well i'm not sure how diverse they are and looking into them more deeply i was actually quite shocked that some of the standards um just don't have a representative sample of um people who aren't uh, white men, should we say? Yeah. So um, it's it's um, and and the more data you get, the better. Um, it, but the I, I wanted to create a much more diverse data set. I also saw it as a way to raise awareness of human factors and the benefit that we do for society. Um, and that's obviously anthropometry is just one way, and that body size data is just one part of human factors and ergonomics. But I thought it would help. Um, non-human factors people um, understand some of the work that we do and how we benefit society. That was the, the aims of the project. So we're really um, collecting body size data from members of the public and our own members and just getting as much data as we can. We're categorizing it in terms of um, different, uh, you know, in terms of uh, sex and ethnicity and age and, and so on. Uh, and we're just collecting as much data as we can. Um, now, the plan was we were going to have lots of roadshows this year and, and all the kind of events, the member events that were going to happen. We were going to take measurements of volunteers um, and use that for data. I was even planning having um, uh, creating a pack that maybe members could use in their workplaces to collect data and, and you know, from their colleagues. And whilst they're doing that, the great thing is, you know, they'd have the opportunity to talk to their colleagues about human factors, ergonomics and what they do, what they're doing and build those relationships that way. So that was the that was the plan. Um, but, uh, you know, COVID kind of put paid for that for now. Um, however, also what I'd always planned to do was have some sort of online app where people could submit their data remotely. And that we have managed to, to do. Uh, and that, you know, COVID hasn't stopped us doing that. So that's uh, that tool is still open now um, for people to submit their data online. So that leads us really nicely into uh, how do people get involved? Um, I know with the last 
episode of the uh, the Ergonomist magazine. There was a the, we all got a tape measure and uh, and a yeah. leaflet. But um, if you uh, if you maybe mislaid your thing, how how would I get involved? How would I how would I engage with it? So on the CIHF website, um, it's got the guide electronically, and uh, it, it, the guide tells you which measures to take and how to take them. There's also a little video as well, which shows you exactly how to take measurement so you just need a tape measure really um if you uh, if you google i think cohf design for everybody it'll bring it up and there's uh there's something called a tape 10 link on the on the website as well and that's where all the information is you can download the guide and on the guide as well there's a link where you can upload the data online so you you take 10 uh body size measurements so i i know there are actually lots and lots of anthropometric measurements that we could take and, and hopefully in the future um, we can expand and, and maybe gain funding to take those sorts of measurements. Um, but I didn't want to make it too onerous. So I thought I'll stick to 10 and I kind of picked 10 that I thought from my experience were the most used. And um, so people can take their own measurements. Um, ideally, if you've got someone to help you take the measurements, um, that's great. But if not, if you're on your own or if you'd rather just take measurements um, yourself, um, that's also possible. And that, that's also proving to be accurate. And so you just take these 10 measurements, literally takes 10 minutes um, and then write the measurements in the uh, electronic form online. So available on the website. And then we're collating all that data. And I'll make sure that all of them links um, are in the description of this podcast. So anybody should be able to just go to that and and go from there. Um, is it a sort of thing you can do um, on your own or is it be best to do it in, in pairs or, or that type so, of thing? Yeah, you can you can take the measurements on your own. Um, <clears throat> I think it's easier having done it myself. Um, <laughs> I was going to say this. It's easier. Some of them are easier than others. I have found unique ways of trying to measure, you know, like my arm length and so on, forward reach um, on my own. So it's it's possible. Um, it's just easier with um, if you can get someone to help you. But it's completely possible to take all the measurements on your own as well. So you can do it both ways. It's it's easier. I sort of found it's easy after after a glass of wine as well. It sort of made made things work a lot better, but um, that was just my own personal experience. Um, obviously, we so we got we gather all this data. Is it is it ever going to close, or is it is it going to be is it a, a constant ongoing thing for a while? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, we've got no close date at the moment because it takes a while to get the data. We've got I can tell you we've got a hundred or we've topped a hundred responses at the moment, which is great. Um, but then when you think of all the possible variables that there could be, how many of those were men, women, different ethnic groups? How many were UK, in fact? Because we had a large uh, amount of interest internationally as well. So um, all the different combinations and categories, the more data we get, the more accurate and the more representative it's going to be. Um, so I don't see a need to stop it at the moment. Uh, we can keep that under review. Um, but at the moment, there's no closed date on the survey, so we won't be late in in um, if if we submit data, you know, in a couple of months. It's it's not going to be too late. Um, I will do an update, I think, at the conference as to where we are, and maybe periodic updates and snapshots to to review the data and see where we've got to and report on that. Um, you know, even after I'm, you know, after I finish being president, I can carry on doing that, uh, and we'll just, you know, see where we are. Um, I know it's also um, there's there's other projects that have now started um, in different organisations. Like there's a new survey, hopefully to to look at armed forces um, 
anthropometric data, so which is great. So there are more of these projects and we're very open about collaborating with other organisations about creating, you know, using the material uh, at the moment. But at the moment we're, we're carrying on. I've, I've also had requests recently about um, child data. And I did check and actually the survey as it stands could be used to collect child anthropometric data as well because there's an age uh, question. So as long as you put the age question in there, then that's fine. We can we can kind of segregate child data from adult data. The reason we were mostly interested in adult data is because working in ergonomics human factors, um, we are about improving work and designing equipment that people work with mostly. Um, so that's why it was mostly adults. But actually, there's no reason why we couldn't um, use uh, anthropometry to support children's products and children's equipment as well, um, like car seat design, for example, that that sort of data. So, um, so yeah, absolutely, we can collect all of that data, and I don't, I don't see a need for it to end at the moment. I think we just keep that one un under review, really. Brilliant, um, and I think that would be even if you sort of took snapshots. I guess you could sort of say, you know, we we closed it at the end of 2021, but still keep on going because it, you know, I guess the. The thing they highlighted right at the beginning was this data was out of date um, mm. or this data is out of date that, that we've historically had and people are designing stuff and you mentioned the military the military data is interesting of itself um if this is a constant going project then it'll end up being the the, the go-to place won't it with, uh, with luck um, yeah, for that type of thing awesome, yeah. so this podcast is supported by k sharp the Human Science Research and Human Factors Consultancy. If you want to know how innovating in the relationship between humans and technology can add value to your business, product, or research, then visit www.ksharp.co.uk. What can you see the, the output doing? You know, we, we have all these measures. Who's going to use it? How are they going to use it? And, and why is it a good um, source of data? Yeah, is a, is a good point. So the way I'm envisaging it is that we will, uh, when we get enough data, we will create the guide that I would expect to be free to CIHF members and then maybe available at a fee for non-members. Um, and we would use it or members can use it as we do other anthropometric data now to make sure that equipment is designed around the people that are going to use that equipment. Um, so whatever that target audience is based on the, the size of those people. Uh, so it, it really and, and the more diverse the data is, that means that we can be truer and the equipment is designed to fit real people. So we hear of examples um, in, uh, say, um, personal protective equipment in the NHS at the moment, not fitting and particularly maybe not fitting um, women. Um, and, you know, that that is. I mean, it's shocking, really, and it, but it shows how important it is to make sure that we've got the right data so that we can make sure that equipment is designed to fit real people. And I do have personal experience of um, a, a face fit mask that, that um, didn't didn't work. Um, I, I was working when I was working on the underground and had to go into areas where there was asbestos. So I had, you know, following correct health and safety procedures as they did. Um, they, they did a fit test for a mask for me, a special um, mask. Um, but the trouble is I didn't fit it. We, we used the smallest size that they had and it wasn't fitting properly to, to how the ex expert um, liked it to fit. 
uh, there were gaps. And um, but I remember him saying, oh, uh, you know, it's not fitting. You, you've got a funny face. And, and, uh, and I actually I actually did apologize. Oh, sorry. You know, and, and then afterwards, I thought, why did I apologize? <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, yeah. And I realized what it was. I, my face was funny in that it was a female face. And in that industry, that construction industry, it was male dominated. So I was funny in that I was unusual by being female. And most of the masks that they used were for men. Um, but it did mean that we had a problem in that I was potentially going to be exposed to asbestos going into those those areas. So now we've got issues with uh, women in the healthcare professions being exposed to um, potentially COVID-19 um, through ill-fitting equipment. Now, you know, th these are, it, it, it just highlights how important it is to use that data. We've, we've also um, recently been looking at um, armour, body armour. So, for example, for women in the uh, police force or the armed, uh, armed services, armed forces. And uh, there have been issues um, with, with um, vests not fitting women. Um, and now there is work being done, as I understand it, to try and get that anthropometric data to, to look at that problem and to see um, what we need to do um, to fix it. So there are issues with the diversity of data. And it's not just about women. Um, as I said, it's about um, uh, different ethnic groups. Some of the defence data that we had um, actually had uh, women were better represented than um, most ethnic groups. So it's it's a real issue. And I know the armed forces want to be um, you know, much more diverse in the future. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of work being done to that. And, and so it, it's really great to see that these issues are being addressed now. No, it, it's, I can see it being just such a valuable resource to um, help them. I mean, when you think about it, it's almost any walk of life, almost any role, um, either directly or indirectly, has that um, needs to take into account the people that they're they're designing for, um, mm. and that piece. So I, I got involved with some um, some uh, face mask creation right at the start of the pandemic, mm -hmm. and the the initial design that came in was massive, and it wasn't until I sort of looked at it and said, well, how's this going to fit? You know, mm -hmm. actually, the, the vast majority of the people who are who are female who also have like the different head shape, and the people who initially designed it were like, oh didn't think of that uh, because they come up with it you know they it was interesting because they they come up with a really good innovation about the way it was done but again just not not thought or not had the data to be able to understand how we need to change it so I think it will be a vast resource going forward and that's what human factors professionals are good at though aren't we we design for people that's that's what we've always done it's about fitting um you know you know fitting the work around um the size of people the the strengths of people, um, the, the mental ability of people. So it's it's it, we are in I think pole position to be able to uh, use that data and and create that data and and you know ensure that that um, products and equipment are fitting um, the people that they need to in the future. So I think it's you know it's, it's really bang on you know what human factors is about or part of what human factors is about. So that, that, that was the intention of it. And I think that a lot of people can understand it and can get behind it as well. They can see that there's a real need um, for more diverse data and more diversity in design of products, I think. Well, Amanda, I really appreciate the time you've been able to uh, spend with us. A, to tell us uh, more about the what the president does, because sometimes I think you see maybe the president as being just that person up there and you don't necessarily everything, see everything they get involved with and you clearly get involved with an awful lot. Um, 
and also the project itself is is hugely interesting clearly going to be a, a massive asset is there you mentioned that the nominations for future president is, is open now mm-hmm. have you got any advice for anybody who wants to put their uh, nomination in or maybe if, if is there a bit of knowledge that if you knew uh, then what you know now um, it would have been useful to know I think, um, well, if I'd known there was going to be a pandemic, I think I would have released the <laughs> Design for Everybody project earlier. Um, but I, th- I think um, it's probably the, the biggest advice is, is that a year isn't very long. Um, so I would take advantage of the president-elect year um, as well. I mean, I, I try to, but yeah, do um, make full um, use of that year to build the foundations and you are allowed to do things as president-elect uh, and, and to get involved that way. It was certainly very useful to me to have that year to learn from the advice of uh, my predecessor, Bob Richer, and, uh, and you know, the rest of the team and to, to learn the ropes that way. Um, but also to um, discuss, with, I was discussing um, objectives with the CEO uh, in my president-elect year before I was president as well. And the, you know, where we wanted to go with the Institute. So I think you make the most of that president year. Um, I think there's a there's a time commitment, um, but it's not too scary. I think it's what you make of it, really. It does fit around your work. As I say, as long as you've got those fixed times for meetings and the meetings we get noticed months in advance as to the dates of those meetings. So it's quite easy to plan around your time. Uh, and I think it is a really good opportunity to kind of shape strategy and be part of a great team. Um, everyone that we work with on the council is very enthusiastic. I'm amazed at how much time um, people give up. Also the professional affairs board and all the all the other volunteers that we have do an amazing job. Um, but I think, yeah, um, do your foundation work as part of your president lecture, um, commit to the role, but don't be scared of it as well. You can make it your own. That's brilliant. Amanda, thank you very much for your time and I hope to catch up with you again soon. All right then, thanks very much for having me, Barry. Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human Factors podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us at www.barrykirby.co.uk and on Twitter at B-A-Z underscore K. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense. <laughs>